Hello, and hope everyone's having a good day so far. Today is Wednesday, October 21st, 2020. My name is Sanal Patel, and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. Do you want more information on compliant documentation for DME? Well, you found the right place. I dive into it in this episode. Welcome to episode seven. This episode discusses the OIG's October 9th audit report on spinal facet joint injections, as well as my trusty tips on compliant documentation for durable medical equipment, DME, and some brilliance from our prestigious American author, Ernest Hemingway. If you've checked me out on LinkedIn, you know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me brings you enough to take back to your organization, to want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve coding accuracy as you help your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss an episode. Please write in a review and rating on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to my podcast. I'd really love your support. Now, a quick disclaimer. Before I get started on the episode, this podcast episode and Nexon Pruitt podcast series do not constitute legal advice. But I am fortunate to work with sound healthcare attorneys at Nexon Pruitt. And as their consultant, I have over 10 years of experience in front office, back end, coding, and billing for multi specialty physicians, compliance, and auditing for both ENM and surgical operative reports. Again, the opinions and insights throughout are mine alone, and they in no means constitute legal advice. So, let's get into newsworthy. The OIG performed their October 9th audit with a specific objective in mind. It was to determine whether Medicare paid physicians for selected facet joint injection sessions in accordance with federal requirements. Some more background. To address inappropriate billing for pain management tied to the overuse of spinal facet joint injections, the Medicare administrative contractors, the MACs, developed a limitation of coverage in their local coverage determinations or LCDs that allows physicians to be reimbursed during a rolling 12-month period for a maximum of five sessions in which facet joint injections are delivered to the lumbar region of the spine or the cervical thoracic regions of the spine. However, one of the MACs in the audit was found to have been paired for more than five injection sessions related to the lumbar or cervical thoracic spines during a rolling 12-month period. That MAC is First Coast. And more importantly, it's the only MAC that did not have an LCD in place at the time period involved. Now, that time is the scope and the parameters of the OIG audit. To be specific, it covered Medicare Part B payments of $3.3 million 
for almost 14,000 selected facet joint injection sessions from January 1st, 2017 through May 31st of 2019. That's the audit period. And in fact, there were 11 MAC jurisdictions with coverage limitations. And as I mentioned, there was only one that did not have that LCD. The remaining 11 had LCDs. The OIG also discovered that Medicare did not pay physicians for selected facet joint injection sessions in accordance with federal requirements. Specifically, for their audit period, the max in the 11 jurisdictions with the coverage limitation made improper payments totaling almost $800,000. Now, let's get into some finer details. Facet joints in the spine aid stability and allow the spine to bend and twist. They are located between each of the vertebrae in the spinal column. There are 28 levels of facet joints in the spine, which are divided from top to bottom into the cervical, thoracic, lumbar, and sacral regions. Each level has a pair of facet joints, one on the right side and one on the left side of the spine. A facet joint injection is an interventional technique that's used to diagnose or treat neck and back pain. For some people with chronic pain due to a facet joint injury, these injections help reduce inflammation and relieve pain. Facet joint injections of an anesthetic with or without a steroid are used to diagnose or treat chronic neck and back pain. There are three CPT codes that are specific to facet joint injections administered in levels of the cervical thoracic spine, as well as three additional CPT codes that are specific to facet joint injections administered in levels of the lumbar spine. For cervical thoracic spine codes, there are CPT codes 64490, 64491, and 64492. For the lumbar and sacral spine codes, we have CPT codes 64493, 64494, and 64495. These codes all include imaging guidance, and four out of the six codes reflect the second and third levels, which are to be reported separately in addition to the code for the primary procedure. For example, the definition of 64490 is injection, diagnostic or therapeutic agent, paravertebral facet joint with imaging guidance, fluoroscopy or commuted, computed tomography CT, cervical or thoracic single level. Now, it's incredibly important to know there are Medicare requirements for physicians to identify and return overpayments. The OIG believes that this audit report constitutes credible information of potential overpayments. Upon receiving credible information of potential overpayments, physicians must exercise reasonable diligence to identify overpayments during a six-year look-back period. Physicians must report and return any identified overpayments by the later of number one, 60 days after identifying those overpayments, 
or number two, the date that any corresponding cost report is due, if that's applicable. This is known as the 60-day rule. The six-year look-back period is not limited by OIG's audit period or restrictions on the government's ability to reopen claims or cost reports. To report and return overpayments under the 60-day rule, physicians can request the reopening of initial claims determinations, submit amended cost reports, or use any other appropriate reporting processes. Now, let's get into how the OIG conducted their audit. Specifically, the OIG's audit covered payments for just around 1,400 patients who had more than five injection sessions related to the lumbar spine, and just a bit over 600 patients who had more than five injection sessions related to the cervical thoracic spine. They also identified Medicare Part B payments of approximately $2 million that First Coast made for approximately mm, 7,000 selected facet joint injection sessions for 800 patients during the audit period. Now that's a huge number for First Coast, right? And they're the ones who did not have that LCD in place. Now specifically payments were made for about 610 patients who had more than five injection sessions related to the lumbar spine and about 240 patients who had more than five injection to, um, for the cervical thoracic spine. And again, I'm talking about for First Coast. So that's a breakdown there. The OIG did not use medical review to determine whether services were medically necessary. That's very important. They did not look at medical records. They were looking at the claims data. The OIG did not contact any of the physicians who administered the injections, but like I just stated, they relied solely on the claims information that was submitted to Medicare for payment. Now, as we dig deeper into their findings, specifically in their findings for the audit period, the max in the 11 jurisdictions with a coverage limitation made improper payments totaling just under $800,000. Of this amount, just around $500,000 represented payments for about 1,400 patients who received more than the five injection sessions related to the lumbar spine during a rolling 12-month period. And then they also represent around $300,000 that represent payments for about 600 patients who received more than five injection sessions related to the cervical thoracic spine during a rolling 12-month period. Now, when you dive deeper into the various LCDs during our time parameters here, a maximum of five facet joint injection sessions inclusive of medial branch blocks, intraarticular injections, facet cyst rupture, and radiofrequency ablations may be performed per rolling 12-month period in the lumbar spine or the cervical thoracic spine. Those LCDs, I'm gonna list them out for you, are LCD L34832, L34892, 
L34993, L34995, L35936, L35996, and L3, L36471. Their report breaks down even more details by stating that Max improperly paid physicians for more than five injection sessions related to number one, for the lumbar spine, there was 2,170 sessions for 1,328 patients. And number two, for the cervical thoracic spine region, there was 1,079 sessions for 623 patients. For each of the total 1,887 patients in their review, Medicare improperly paid physicians for at least one session. The number of improperly paid sessions during a rolling 12-month period ranged from 1 to 18 sessions. Of the 13,857 sessions reviewed, 3,249, or 23%, were improperly paid. They even go so far as to show us an example, an instance in which a physician was improperly paid for 16 facet joint injection sessions above and beyond the five that are documented in the LCDs. So 16 facet joint injections was their example highlighted in the audit report. So again, that total of overpayment, that $748,555 is 23% $3.3 million. So the OIG has lots of recommendations as usual to CMS. And they state for the 11 MAC jurisdictions with a coverage limitation for the number of facet joint injection sessions during a rolling 12 month period, they recommend that CMS direct the MACs that oversee the 11 jurisdictions to recover the $748,555 in improper payments made to physicians. They also instruct the MACs to, based upon the results of this audit, to notify appropriate physicians so that those physicians can exercise their reasonable diligence to go ahead and self-audit identify, report, and return any overpayments in accordance with the 60-day rule and identify any of those returned overpayments as having been made in accordance with this particular recommendation. They also want CMS to help provide some better and improved oversights for the MACs to begin implementing and preventing and detecting payments to physicians for more than five facet joint injection sessions received by patients during a rolling 12-month period in the lumbar spine or the cervical thoracic spine. They also want to direct the MAX to oversee the 11 jurisdictions to review claims for facet joint injections after their audit period to identify instances in which Medicare paid physicians for more than five injection sessions received by patients during the rolling 12-month period and go ahead and recover any improper payments identified. For the remaining MAC jurisdiction that we know is First Coast, 
since they did not have any coverage limitation, they want to recommend that CMS consider working with that particular MAC to determine whether it should re-implement this coverage limitation, which could have saved them $513,000 and change. Um, and to date, I've done my research. Yes, First Coast currently does have an LCD on facet joint injections. So yes, they took heed, they took their advice, and there is an LCD currently in place with First Coast. Now, CMS, of course, has every right to respond, and they did respond. CMS concurred with all of OIG's recommendations, and they described actions that it plans to address in the future, such as they will be directing Max to recover identified overpayments consistent with relevant law and CMS's policies and procedures and exploring applicable oversight mechanisms. In addition, CMS has stated that Max are developing a pain management group that will look more deeply into facet joint injections. So stay tuned. Um, some of those LCDs are likely going to be tweaked again soon. So in my opinion, it's very important for you to use these OIG audits to assist you in your compliance programs if you perform these types of services. And look, the MACs have stated they will be reopening and sending demand letters. So it's critical to start reviewing your past coding and billing for these facet joint injection services. Now. More food for thought, let me just disclose, if you don't already know, the 11 out of the 12 jurisdictions that should be paying attention are our WPS, Wisconsin Physician Service Government Health Administrators, our NGS, National Government Services, our CGS, our Noridian, both jurisdictions, E and F, our Novitas Solutions, both of those jurisdictions, both of the Palmettos in J and M, and do note that during the audit period, Palmetto for jurisdiction J used to be the MAC called Cahaba. So before February 26th of 2018, Cahaba was the MAC for that particular region, now known as Palmetto J. Um, and then, of course, the 12th jurisdiction is First Coast, and they did not, again, as I stated throughout this report, they did not have an LCD in place at the time of this particular audit. So keep that in mind. They do now. So you should be looking towards that LCD as well and following all of those indications and medical necessity coverage guidelines. And now it's time for my best practice tip in trusty tips. I have seen so much documentation over the years that misses the standards for compliance in DME POS or durable medical equipment, prosthetics, orthotics, and supplies. CMS identifies and quantifies that for us very clearly, like for ordering lower limb orthoses. The 2019 Medicare fee-for-service improper payment rate for lower limb orthoses was a whopping 63.5%. And that represents a projected improper payment more than $297,000.
the reasons were insufficient documentation errors accounted for, again, this number is way too big, 61.7% of improper payment rates for lower limb orthoses for the 2019 reporting period, 61.7%. That's huge. Additional types of errors included no documentation at all at 1%. Medical necessity came in pretty strong at 32.5%. And other, something they categorize as other, I don't know what that means, but it came in at 4.5%. So the majority of the improper payments were due to insufficient documentation, like I stated, which literally means something was missing from the submitted medical records to support the payment for the items billed. Those claims with insufficient documentation based on Medicare guidelines lacked one or more of the following. A valid provider's order, number one. You must have a valid provider's order and it needs to include all elements that are required by regulation, Medicare program manuals, and MAC specific guidelines. Also, you must have proof of delivery, but that's missing or inadequate per the regulations and Medicare program manuals. Third, you also must have clinical documentation to support the medical necessity of the durable medical equipment, the DME. But of course, that's also found to be missing or inadequate. Now, there's the Medicare braces benefit under the Social Security Act 1861-9, which covers ankle foot orthoses, or AFO, as well as knee ankle foot orthoses, or KAFO. For coverage under this particular benefit, the orthosis must be a rigid or semi-rigid device, which is used for the purpose of supporting a weak or deformed body member or restricting or eliminating motion in a diseased or injured part of the body. Items that are not sufficiently rigid to be capable of providing the necessary immobilization or support to the body part for which it is designed do not meet the statutory definition of the braces benefit. Items that do not meet the definition of a brace are statutorily non-covered. There's no benefit provided. You must be keenly aware of your local coverage determinations, your LCDs, they are complex and break into ankle foot orthoses, AFOs, and knee ankle foot orthoses, your KAFOs, and must be adhered to. Remember, 42 CFR 414.402 establishes that correct coding of AFO and KAFO items are dependent upon whether there is a need for, quote, minimal self-adjustment, end quote, during the final fitting at the time of delivery. The differentiating factor for the proper coding is the need for the minimal self-adjustment at the time of fitting by the patient, the caretaker, or the supplier. This minimal self-adjustment does not require the services of a certified orthotist or an individual who has specialized training. Code items requiring minimal self-adjustment as off-the-shelf orthoses. 
For example, adjustment of straps and closures and bending or trimming for the final or comfort, excuse me, for the final fit or the comfort fall into this particular category. So remember to code it appropriately for minimal self-adjustment. Then for documentation requirements in section 1833E of the Social Security Act prevents payment to any provider of services unless, quote, there has been furnished such information as may be necessary in order to determine the amounts due to the provider, end quote. It is expected that the beneficiary's medical records will show the need for the care provided. The beneficiary's medical records include the treating practitioner's office records, hospital records, nursing home records, home health agency records, records from other healthcare professionals, as well as test reports. Providers must supply the MACs with this documentation if asked. To justify for a DME payment, items must meet these following requirements. As I stated earlier, they must have a standard written order an SWO. The medical record information must be used. There must be correct coding. There must be proof of delivery. To prevent claim denials, providers and suppliers must preserve documentation of the following items within their medical records. So you must retain the valid detailed written physician's order that detailed written physician order must contain the patient's name and their unique identifier, the MBI. There must be a general description of the item on the medical order. That, that description can be either general or it can be more of a narrative form or you can supply your HixPix code that you're using for coding and billing purposes. So you can also include the quantity to be dispensed like in this instance we're talking about knees and ankles there are two of them um, so if you need a unit to be increased you should document that on the order the order should also have an order date the order should also have the treating practitioner's name and their npi number as well as the treating practitioner's signature remember a complete medical picture must be painted for all services rendered to be compliantly billed to Medicare. The Medicare record must, excuse me, the medical record must display the medical necessity for the DME POS, the patient needs to follow your plan of care. Without painting all the details into the medical documentation, you cannot be guaranteed to keep those monies you receive today. But by beginning to document compliantly, beginning to retain all the paperwork needed for DME compliance, and beginning to follow LCD guidelines, a provider can begin painting the full, vibrant medical picture with accuracy. And finally, this week's inspiring quote in Spark is from esteemed American author Ernest Hemingway. The world breaks everyone, and afterward, some are strong at the broken places. Breathtaking, right? 
I think this describes exactly how we all feel right now. This coronavirus has literally broken so many of us, ended the lives of millions worldwide. But it's up to all of us, still here, left stronger by all that broke around us, to forge ahead, mend and heal, change and uplift, make things better in this critical space of healthcare. I am happy Ernest Hemingway's legacy on our collective culture still burns brightly in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. I'd love to hear your questions and comments. You can always direct message me on LinkedIn or voice message me on the Anchor app. And if you would like to inquire about my consultant services, you can always reach me through my email address at nexonpruitt.com. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. Please continue staying safe and healthy, practice safety for one and all during our collective life in the time of coronavirus. Hope you join me next Wednesday for episode eight in the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. Thank you for listening in on today's episode, and I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping your providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday. If you want more information from me, go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn or send me an email at sanalpatel at neximpruit.com for all my consulting services in medical coding, auditing, and compliance. Thank you.